Hello, and welcome to Statistically Interesting, the podcast where we interview analysts and data scientists to learn about the fascinating work that they do and how they got to where they are today. I'm your host, Jake Stein. I'm co-founder and CEO of Stitch. You can find out more about me and hear about new episodes by following me on Twitter, at Jake Stein. All right, today on the show, we have Tim Wisniewski, Chief Data Officer for the City of Philadelphia. Tim tells us about the difference between thick and thin data, the challenges of writing ETL scripts when your source data is an LED display, and which data sets shouldn't be open to the public. And here's our conversation. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Statistically Interesting. Uh, I'm joined by a very interesting guest today. Uh, guest, would you mind introducing yourself? Yes, host. <laughs> My name is Tim Wisniewski. I'm the Chief Data Officer for the City of Philadelphia. Uh, and I have several follow-up questions already. I, <laughs> uh, I feel like I always say it wrong. It's Wisniewski? You got it. I got Spot it. Spot on. Nailed it. Uh, second, way less important question. What exactly does a Chief Data Officer do? Well, uh, we, ha we have a team called the Office of Open Data and Digital Transformation. And what we do is we try to make government seem more transparent and accessible to the public. You make it seem more transparent, but not actually, in fact, <laughs> yeah, more transparent. Nothing under the covers. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a good catch. Um, so basically, we, we help departments publish their government data out to the public so that the public can see what's going on inside of government. They can use the data. People can start businesses with the data. Uh, they can create apps to better interact with government. Um, it makes government seem um, less opaque and can increase confidence in government overall. Uh, we also try to make government more accessible to members of the public. Um, specifically right now we're focused on uh, redesigning the city's website around the needs of our users. Um, so rather than like organizing it around how government is organized by department and department, uh, we actually look at what people are coming to our site for and organize it by that. Uh, we do user research, we have pop-up surveys, we do card sorting exercises and um, try to design government services, online services um, around the needs of the people who are going to use them. Hmm. What's a card sorting exercise? <laughs> card sorting exercises, um, something you, you do to determine uh, information architecture, so to make it even more confusing. Uh, basically, let's say you know that the city government has a, a handful of services that they offer to the public, and by handful I mean uh, quite a lot of services. The way that you organize those, um, the default is perhaps closer to the organizational model that we have in government, like you might have a public safety department uh, or organization, and within that you have several services, um, you know, like putting out fires or uh, getting accident reports. Then you have like another bucket called uh, legal services. You might have another one around properties. Uh, card sorting exercises allows us to uh, create these little cards of what these services are and try to fit them into a hierarchy that makes sense for people. So we put that in front of people, say in the concourse of MSB, where people are going to pay their uh, property tax bills or their water bill and we ask them to participate in this exercise and we put these cards in front of them and say where do you think this fits into a hierarchy what category would you put this service into um, and we find interesting things like actually people don't associate prisons with public safety like we do inside of government they actually associate it with law which I wouldn't have thought of that because I work inside government and yeah. that goes in the public safety bucket you know yeah. so um, just a, a way that we can get uh, feedback from 
the people that will actually be using the site instead of those of us on the inside. And so <clears throat> after you've done these card sorting exercises, uh, is there some success criteria? Like uh, you are able to see that people, you know, can find the thing that they want on the website with fewer number of clicks? Or how do you know that what you learned in that is actually been a benefit? Yeah, so we have an analytics expert on the team named Lauren, Lauren Ancona, um, and she helps us do things like that. We can see the, the click-throughs, we can see patterns, we can see that this person, this session, so to speak, started on this page and ended up over here, and they went back to this page. Uh, we can even see like live sessions and sort of the frustration that some users experience um, and then compare that to the experience of uh, having made an improvement. So right now we have a new version of the website that is in alpha right now. Um, <clears throat> we're actually calling it the alpha project that I described before. Uh, and we're running it in parallel to the current fill.gov so that we can do things like that. So if you type in alpha.fill.gov on your computer or your phone, uh, you can see the new experience. Uh, and we can see, <laughs> sounds creepy to say, we can see you. No, we, we can see what pages you go to, uh, what the top content you're looking for is. And if you do end up somewhere and you, you don't find what you're looking for, we have it right in your face that please tell us, what, it, what were you looking for? Help us better understand how we can improve this experience for you. Um, and we look at that, we have feedback piped into our Slack channel, um, you know, and, and we constantly iterate to try to improve the experience for users based on the data that we're seeing. Interesting. And uh, what uh, what tools do you use to do that? Like, what's what's tracking the web visitors? How do you get that feedback into Slack? Like, how does that work? So, Google Analytics is probably the most important part of it. Mm -hmm. um, Lauren's implemented uh, Universal Analytics um, and uses Google Tag Manager to have more central control over the properties that get put into the different web pages. Um, and there's a bunch of tools that can fit into that. Like we use Hotjar for, um, I think that's the one we use for like recording sessions. You can sort of, you can get a heat map of where mm -hmm. the mouse movements go. You can get a, a video playback um, of, you know, their session, what pages they click through. You can do little pop-up surveys and say, what are you looking for on this page? Did you find it? Or the, uh, oh, there's that one to 10 net, yeah, promoter. net promoter score. That's, yeah, 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 you can do that on there. And uh, that's all with Hotjar? Yeah, oh, cool. yeah, and you can inject Hotjar through Google Tag Manager, which nice. is really cool. So we can just turn them off and turn them on on different pages. So we can say like within the revenue department's website, we just want to ask these questions on these three pages inside the business taxes section. You know, a lot more fine-grained control. Um, there's a couple other tools that I'm forgetting here, but um, it's nice to have the ability to control those centrally. Uh, yeah. Well. And do um, so? Are you primarily using like the analysis that's in those tools? Like in Google Analytics, you'll use the UI for analysis that Google Analytics provides, and in Hotjar, you'll use the reporting that Hotjar provides. Are there other tools that? those things get piped into or are they pretty much like self-contained silos? Yeah, in fact, um, there is a tool, uh, you can you can actually see this stuff yourself at analytics.philo.gov. Oh, so all that's public. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a, cool. like a real-time, basically real-time dashboard of, of web traffic. Um, it's not, you know, our data goes deeper than that, but yeah. the, what people are searching for, what people are looking at, the top pages and stuff, it gets piped in there. And that, that was actually a project started by um, the digital analytics program, uh, the US government inside of the GSA and 
18F. Which 18, are, what does 18F stand for? It's the uh, intersection of the streets that the building is located on, ah, like 18 okay. and F. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so they, the federal government started this project, analytics.usa.gov, to do exactly mm-hmm. this so that people inside government and also outside can see what pages and what sites are most popular. Um, and Lauren, who I mentioned before, took that and uh, made some improvements to it and then implemented it here for phila.gov. So now you can see it at analytics.phila.gov and just get a, get a picture of like what the most popular websites are. And it's things like property, it's things like revenue, um, it's not things like you know the uh, some random initiative that has a lot of push inside of government. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it enables us to kind of demonstrate that here's what people are actually coming for, um, not just the stuff that we're working on tirelessly day to day. It doesn't necessarily right. translate to traffic. There's not there's not a one to one relationship between what you care about and what gets actual page views or people engaged. Yeah, but as far as the analysis goes, I, I also want to point out that it's it's not just about the numbers and mm-hmm. the data when determining this sort of thing. Um, many times, unfortunately, it kind of has to be because we have limited resources, but we also have a user experience strategist on staff who's just uh, brilliant at coming up with ways to engage users and, and get the qualitative data, essentially. Uh, also been referred to as thick data, the stories, mm-hmm. the individuals, the individual experiences. So like the feedback that people give us, um, which is like free text, you know, mm-hmm. the the fact that it's, it's available on our Slack channel and yeah. we can read it and, and kind of get in the heads of real users, not just graphs, uh, is really important to kind of counterbalance the data. You use the term thick data, which I hadn't heard before, but I already like it. Uh, is thin data the purely quantitative kind? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's People use the term big data very yeah. often, and I think it was coined in response to that. Okay. Um, yeah. Thin data being the quantitative kind, thick, thick data being the, like, there's less of it, but there's more depth to it. Got it. And specifically about viscosity. Uh, this That's a wine term. Yeah, it has nothing to do here. I'm okay. Just, I'm just <laughs> okay, all right. trying to be on I thought I missed something. Okay. No. Yeah, there's 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 plenty plenty to not miss here. Uh, also, I'm, I'm looking at the analytics.phila.gov right now. So there's 385 people on city websites right now, which is pretty cool. Is this data pulled out of the um, pulled out of Google Analytics, or is it coming from a separate data store? Yeah. So let me attempt to explain it, and then you know, Lauren will kill me if I forget it wrong. But I th- I think it is uh, a a Script running on Heroku that pulls the data out of the Google Analytics API, puts it into a JSON file, and pushes that JSON file to an S3 bucket um, at a regular interval. And Heroku only lets you go to like once every 15 minutes or something. So uh, I think Lauren just created like five Heroku things to have them more free uh, and offset the times. Um, And then the web app that you're looking at there is just a static site that reads from those JSON files. And uh, every however many seconds does another fetch. Oh, very cool. Uh, And so that... um that's something that the federal government created that you guys customized for, for your needs and tried to make it a, l- a little bit better. In general, how do you feel like Philly stacks up uh, in terms of data and, and open data specifically against other cities or, or the federal government? Like, where, where do you think we stand? That's a good question. I mean, I, I'm on the inside and I always feel like, 
like every single day I feel like, oh my God, there's so many more things we should and could be doing. Mm -hmm. So I kind of uh, give myself a hard time, but uh, people somehow tell us that we're doing a good job, which is nice to hear. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's so not every city has an open data program. And because Philly has been into open data for so long and has such a large tech community, I think we generally get a good reputation for it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not, but it's, it's not because like, the city government's got it all figured out. I think it's it's really because the people in the community have have been on onto this actually longer than government has, and have been talking about it and promoting it, and others and like telling other cities about it. So many, I think, a lot of other cities may have heard of open data from someone in Philly's tech community or something that mm-hmm. Philly did or something. So that's I think contributes to the the reputation that Philly has for having a you know an important open data program or. Um, a lot of demonstrations of value of open data. So I, I think we're ahead of the curve. In some ways, we're uh, leading the way, I think. And in other ways, the, there's uh, great paths to follow from our peers in other cities like Chicago and San Francisco and uh, Pittsburgh and uh, some of the other cities who've really um, pushed open data forward. So I, th- I think that one area that um, we have really made a lot of strides in is community engagement. We've created an open data advisory group and uh, it's a a small group but um, the the basic premise of creating it was how do we prioritize the data sets that we release. There's a handful of you know 20 some that that everybody thinks of when you think of open data you know budget, employee salaries, bus schedules, um, you know things that everybody really comes to mind real estate taxes once you get past that handful or two it starts to become a little more wonky and Mm -hmm. you start to you kind of need to know what the details of what happens inside government um, to know what else is there but really there's hundreds of data sets that remain so how do you prioritize those because we can't release all of them there's just not enough time in the world you know or or, or, let alone resources Um, so we needed a way to um, prioritize those without just government prioritizing them. <clears throat> and op- open data kind of had a reputation of only being there to serve the tech community. But in fact, the audience for open data is much broader than just te- the tech community. It just so happens that the tech community is best equipped to do- to handle a CSV file uh, right out out of the gate. Right. Um, and so we formed this advisory group that represents that has representatives from uh, several communities of open data users, like the journalism community, academia, the business community, the nonprofit community, um, and we brought them together to review lists of data that city de- departments have and ask them to solicit through their communities and get feedback and ultimately advise us on what the priorities ought to be. Um, and I think that that focus on getting public participation in our priorities um, is an area that we've uh, led the way. Hmm. And in your personal day-to-day, uh, are you mostly interacting with people in the community? Are you um, working with data directly? Like, how, how do you spend your time? That's a good question. So it's, it's a mix of those things. Um, I personally try to attend events like Code for Philly and hackathons and meetups whenever possible. Um, but I, I'd say most of each day, at least at the office, is, is dealing with uh, people at different departments. Okay. Um, pushing data releases through, um, trying to coordinate between 
department heads mm-hmm. and the people doing writing the ETL scripts and and uh, people publish publicizing the data releases um, and then interacting with the users of it through like our we have a Google group mm. where people can ask questions and ask us you know where's this data set at and, and when is this release coming and so it's it's a it's a mix of those things um, and it's also relatively recently uh, involves the, uh, the the new office the new mm. team and uh, the alpha project and um, a lot of strategic planning around that and how they fit together. Got it. Yeah. And so, what changed with with the new office and the new team? So it's it's a creation of a new office. We moved to a different building. There's ten of us in the office. It combines the Open Data Initiative and the Alpha pro- project that I described before. Mm-hmm. And our hope is that we will broaden the focus to other types of like improving city services by applying a user-centered design approach um, and developing things iteratively. Um, and that, that's kind of the part that we're looking to really dive into once we move alpha to a particular state. Uh, so yeah, what changed is that we, we have physically moved. We have um, a very clear mandate. Um, we have a lot of um, support from above um, and like a pretty clear mission. And we're, we're really excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, how, how long have you been Chief Data Officer? Uh, I think, what is it, 27 years? No. Um, <laughs> it feels like, no, it's, it's, let's see, two, about two years now. It was in July of 2014, I think. So. Okay. Yeah. And the person before you was, was Mark Head yeah. in that role? Yeah, that's and right. And he was the first one that... That's right. Okay. Got it. First one in Philly. That's right. Okay. And so what... Um, can you talk a little bit about just like what, how you got to where you are today? What you, what led you here? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I've been with the city for about four and a half years now. Okay. Um, prior to that, I was managing a nonprofit organization in Frankfurt, which is a uh, neighborhood in Lower Northeast Philly. Um, we were improving the business corridor. We had people sweeping the sidewalks. Uh, we had safety ambassadors trying to make shoppers feel safer on the corridor, really trying to bring business back to the uh, once thriving business corridor in what is now a relatively low income area. Hmm. Um, it's so, kind of like the center city district? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, exactly, but like a much smaller budget. Okay, <laughs> like, sounds fun. Yeah, like $100,000 of a budget. Like, okay. yeah, we had, to, we had to come up with creative ways hmm. to pay for things. Um, so anyway, my, my background is really more in the community building and uh, like civic associations in Frankfurt and Kensington, mm-hmm. and that was really where my passion was, um, and that it was that way when I came to city government. Um, but I've always kind of had a hobby of software development mm-hmm. and <clears throat> attending things like hackathons during Philly Tech Week uh, really allowed me to see how those paths could intersect community building building and software and it really just clicked for me um so when i had the opportunity to move over to the technology department at the city as the director of civic technology um you know i i just i was i've been i was really excited and i've been really excited ever since and so what uh the director of civic technology what uh what's within that person's domain like what are they looking for well when I was in the role about three years ago, I was a, it was a little different. Um, a lot of this stuff was was still really new to city government, but um, basically, 
we wanted to bring in the types of technology, this, the open source software specifically, and the approaches that we would use at hackathons into city government. Hmm. So the idea of being able to build an app in like a week instead of over six months yeah. of a you know, waterfall Microsoft project plan and that kind of thing. Um, you know, smaller scale, of course, than most government IT projects, but in some ways that's kind of the point. Um, so introducing open source software, GitHub, um, creating small applications with the potential for impact, things like bigideasphl.com, uh, where you can find uh, our contracting opportunities with the city and subscribe to email alerts. We just created a WordPress site and yeah. like added a subscription thing and like that was it. Um, you know, putting things out in the cloud and uh, so, yeah, introducing a lot of those concepts to the team and trying to grow capacity. So rather than just one or two people doing it, like bringing people into the fold and um, trying to understand how the approaches that we would apply at hackathons could possibly fit inside a, a government and the problems that we deal with inside government. <clears throat> and in the, the role you're in now, or I guess even potentially some of the previous ones, uh, how much is it that you're given like a specific question to answer or problem to solve or some metric to improve and you have to go execute on that versus you have a more broad mandate and you're choosing which projects and, and things to focus on? Hmm. Well, sometimes it depends on how much we have our act together. Mm -hmm. um, when you have a plan and a vision and projects in place, then um, you, you, you're able to demonstrate that you're actually already moving in a particular direction. Right. When, you, when you don't have a direction, people are more likely to give you one. Mm. Um, I mean, on the open data side, honestly, the priorities usually come from the outside. It's, yeah. <clears throat> it's because people want to see this data. It's because people need access to this data. Um, what... Uh I don't know if there have been enough for there to be an average tenure for uh, a chief data officer, but uh, <laughs> like, how uh, how do you think about the future? Is it something where you uh, have gotten a lot of the things accomplished that you want to in this role? Is it something where you could imagine doing it for another decade? Like, how do you how do you think about the, the future <laughs> in, in, for you in this role? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ever going to feel like okay, you know, I'm got it, got we, it. We've got this data problem licked. Yeah, no, it, and it's it's one of those things where the deeper you go, it's just this, this rabbit hole. Mm. Um, so I don't I don't know when it could possibly feel like that. I think the most important thing that that we can do in positions like this in government is try to <clears throat> get other bring other people in to mm. do this kind of work and bring people who already work in government into the fold. Mm -hmm. It's more of like a, a culture change type of thing that has a much longer lasting impact than just like one or two people being in government who might not be there indefinitely. So, uh, I mean, probably the most important thing for me is the fact that we've built a really strong team. Mm. Um, and, you know, the idea that it doesn't rest on any one person's shoulders that we've built a really strong team and that that strength is recognized inside of city government. The idea that our approach could be seen as having value, you know, those sorts of things outlive individuals in their tenure. 
Um, so that's a lot more important. Um, as for me, I've been here four and a half years in a variety of, uh, of roles, and I, I, I love it. I, I really enjoy um, just kind of being able to work with folks in a really large institution to push things through that we all want to see done. And just like seeing some of the uh, talking to people and having preconceived stereotypes completely contradicted and like, mm -hmm. oh, actually, everybody wants to do this stuff. And uh, there's actually really legitimate barriers in our way that we need to work through and finding ways to do that. It's just I, I get a lot out of it. So I, I'm enjoying it. That's awesome. Uh, that reminds me of one of the other things I wanted to ask you about. Like, I imagine uh, being a part of an organization like city government, there's probably some things that are possible that would not be possible in any other context, like at a, at a company or definitely not in a startup. Uh, and some things that are, would be trivial for us to do, but may be impossible from where you sit. So I'm, I'm just curious, like what would have been some of the things where you get the access that no one else would have, or you're able to do something that no one else would do, or, or, or the other side of that, where you're just blocked from doing something that you think ought to be easy. Yeah, like I bet when you bought these microphones, you were just like, huh, let me Google what's a good microphone, and then I'll just click buy, and oh, they're here in two days. That's right, we've got Prime. <laughs> yep, doesn't, it doesn't work like that for us. Uh, we would have to, um, like, draft a solicitation and like put out the opportunity to sell us a microphone and then have a committee review this. Wow. So things like purchasing and, mm -hmm. and, um, and ethics rules as well are really, are really important. Like even competing, if a company can't just say like, Hey, let me do this for free for you. Like sometimes like, I think we have to bid the opportunity to give us something for free. It's just, yeah, there's, there's a lot of intricacies there that sometimes aren't obvious. Um, of course, they're brought about for really good reasons. And, uh, you know, if you look back on history, like many of those things, it's a good thing that they're here. Uh, but things that, that we are empowered to do, I, I guess the, the reach of city government is pretty un, un, hard to compare to. Mm -hmm. um, the, the idea that when we put a service out there, the number of people that it can affect and can use it and like the importance of our services and the idea that it, they're official, they're like the official service that mm -hmm. city government provides is just, sometimes it's kind of mind-blowing like, yeah. that we're able to, to, to do that, to have that kind of reach. And the problems that we get to work on, you know, that affects real people, um, you know, that's really important. It's, it's important to me that to know that the work that uh, our team is working on really matters and really can reach people in all neighborhoods of Philadelphia. So, are there any uh, data sets that you've put out or projects that your team has executed that you're like particularly proud of that, that you could talk about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so first of all, when we put data sets out, I you know I might say we, but it's really like. The departments themselves that are doing this, that mm. are being the courageous ones, that are putting in a lot of the work, and the ones that are owning it. Um, so it's been important to me to like put the spotlight on them and, and um, help them have a win and, and connect to the community that's going to use it. Mm. Um, but if a month or so ago, the police department published data on uh, pedestrian and vehicle investigations, which is a record for every single time someone gets pulled over on the street or stopped 
patted down, uh, whether <coughs> contraband was found, whether they were arrested. You can see the location, the date and time, uh, the race and gender uh, and ethnicity of the individual that was stopped. Um, you can just download it in bulk. There's a ton of data just yeah. on that. So, you know, that, that I think is a really important data release that the police department put out there. And there's other things that, um, you know, things like employee salaries that has had a lot of traffic and a lot of like controversy and, you know, a lot of eyes on it and all that, you know, it might be hard to connect the dots of like, why does that matter? Why is it important? And, you know, th technically the, the number of information requests went down because the law department no longer had to fulfill right to know requests for people requesting data on employee salaries and you know so government efficiency was improved in some way and mm. they can work on something else now um, but another way to look at it is um, we saw like tens of thousands of views on that data set in just a week which is like 10 times what we see on any other data release which blows my mind but like those people were not the ones not all not all of them would have submitted a information request mm. otherwise yeah so it's it's making it easier to engage with city government in the first place um, and to care about this information and to know that you can connect to that and to see that we're not paying people like a million dollar salaries and so you know and just that information is much more readily available yeah, yeah. has there been an instance where or, or I guess Maybe not even an instance, but like, is there something where you personally use an app that depends on a data set that you helped get out there, or you're 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 like yeah. directly impacted by this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the um, the property search app is probably the first thing that comes to mind. It's mm -hmm. um, one of the most used applications on philo.gov. It's just property.philo.gov, where you can type in an address and. Uh, see all the details about that property, who owns it, what it was assessed for. Um, you can find links to other information like the tax history and that sort of thing, or the licenses and inspections on the property. Um, and that's, that is a client-side JavaScript application that uses an API that the Office of Property Assessment, well, that, that, that we worked with the Office of Property Assessment to release. Um, and that, you know, it uses open data. So the, proper, the property application itself uses the same API that we put out for the public to use. Um, and that's one that we deal with all the time. And I know you mentioned before that it's really, you know, the departments themselves that are putting out that data. And it makes total sense to me that, like, you know, with the, the pullover or, or the stop and frisk data that the police department um, released, like, that's, they're certainly the one that, that's taking the risk of, you know, people interpreting that data in a negative way. But in terms of actually like pulling the data out of the source system, putting it into a format that's consumable, uh, you know, standing up a server to service API requests, is that the responsibility of the department as well, or is that your team? It's usually our team. In okay. the case of the police department, they actually have a really uh, strong uh, GIS group and okay. an analysis group, and they were able to take it out of their source system, which is. I don't know the case in that particular one, but they deal with mainframes and some of their systems and put that into like a relational database and then push that over to our central database. Once mm -hmm. it's in the central database, though, we, we take it from there um, and publish it out to our cloud data store um, and create visualizations on top of it so that the general public can interact with the data without having to download it and load a giant spreadsheet in Excel and crash their computer or yeah. something like that. 
Um, so we, we help on that side and certainly putting in an open data Philly, making it easy to access and all, and just the kind of publicizing about it. Um, but other departments <coughs> who don't have a robust GIS group um, will we'll often help them more on the technical side. So maybe that's writing a script to pull the data out of their software system and go the rest of the way from there. And is it, uh, I mean, I'm assuming there's not really a commercial product to pull the data out of, you know, random mainframe that some department uses, but is it sometimes the case that the data is just, like there's just not a way to get the data out? Yeah, there's been one case of that. Okay. Uh, it's the call center data, like the live calls coming in mm -hmm. at 311 for like people reporting potholes um, or abandoned buildings or something like that. There's LED tickers in the 311 call center that say like the number of people online right now on hold um, and, you know, percentage stats, SLA and that kind of, that kind of thing. And it's all in a computer. <laughs> But uh, because it's like a backup 911 center, that's a, it's on its own network. So uh -huh. there's no way to access it. The, the only way that they, it's funny because like the LED things are connected to that network. So you get like, I can see them and I've even like, it's just taunting crazy, but I, I even thought about what if we put a video camera in front of it and it's OCR the, uh, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, go back to work. <laughs> but yeah, no, the way that people get it out is they use a USB thumb drive to get a, you know, a data dump oh, on wow. it and copy it over, which is not very secure. But huh. um, yeah, that's probably the only time when it's just completely impossible. Every other time, oh yeah, yeah, we've figured out a way, whether it's like a very poorly formatted set of Excel spreadsheets mm -hmm. and using Python's like Excel libraries to mash that into a uh, readable data set. Um, or mainframe is actually pretty decent at pushing files to you know an FTP server. So we have a couple things like that set up where the mainframe just pushes, runs the job, which takes all night or something. But when it's done, it just pushes it out to an FTP server and you gotta deal with oddly formatted files like fixed width instead of delimited or something. But you know, it's, it's fine, it's, you get over it. And so it, it sounds like most of the ETL is done with Python or Excel, basically, is that mostly right? No, we don't. We don't use Excel for, okay. for ETL. That's um, no. Um, so most of the ETL, yeah, I would say on, on the whole is is Python. About a year or so ago, we dove into Safe FME, which is like a graphical interface for building ETL tools, okay. um, which is really impressive because they have a whole like hundreds of connectors mm. that abstract the different types of connections. So if you want to pull data out of um, you know, an Oracle database and push it up to ArcGIS online or put it into a SQL server database. It doesn't matter mm -hmm. about converting it. It'll take care of that abstraction for you. But if you're a software developer, it's actually a little frustrating because you can't, I just want to see the code. Like, show mm -hmm. me the code. Some of the stuff is buried inside of menus and dialog boxes. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's the, the transparency is, I think, very important. In software, we would we, call that um, readability. Yeah. And so I think that applies similarly in, in ETL scripts and, and data pipelines, if you will. Um, so we've been migrating those into Python. And yeah, I, I, we're trying to think a lot about how we schedule these jobs to run, how we have some visibility into when they don't run and, um, and what's currently running, uh, 
try to think about like how we can develop more of a framework to have more consistent logging and alerts. Um, we've been thinking a lot about that, and I'm really excited about what we can do with it. Hmm. And are you using anything like open source libraries that uh, like Python or I'm sorry, like uh, Luigi or Airflow to manage this, or is it mostly all homegrown right now? So those are two on the list as, as well as uh, Pinball, the other one from Pinterest. Oh, yeah, that's on the, our list to look at for the scheduling and stuff. Okay. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I dove into Luigi and Airflow a little bit, and uh, so, some of the things were just uh, over my head. Like, okay. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't quite grasp it, but uh, we have some really talented folks on the team who I'm sure will be able to figure that out. Um, I'm also a little new to Python. I only started learning it about six months ago. Um, but anyway, uh, open source tools-wise... Yeah, I mean, if you look at our, our GitHub, github.com slash city of Philadelphia, we use a ton of open source tools. In fact, the whole new alpha.phila.gov is built on open source technology, um, most prevalently WordPress. But um, all of the web apps that we have on there use open source JavaScript libraries and all. And uh, for Python, I mean, I used, I've used open source libraries for like Excel parsing and stuff like that. Uh, I personally feel like if, if, I don't know, I haven't played with some of the more popular Python data libraries uh, because the idea of being able to write in vanilla Python just makes it so much more accessible and, and readable. Um, I try to keep in the back of my mind, um, if I'm not here and somebody's looking at this and they can't get in touch with me, will they be able to, able to figure out what's going on? Uh, and that's so much at the forefront of my mind because I've I've been that person, right? Where the the person who wrote this isn't here, and you spend hours trying to figure out what the heck is going on, and you're like reverse engineering. <laughs> well, you, you we can write code better, so you don't have, it, right. it doesn't have to be reverse engineered. Yeah. And so, um, safe FME, and you're uh, replacing that with a lot of internally built Python scripts. Are there anything else that's part of your toolkit right now where it's a Either a third-party service or a third-party product, where you're either now or thinking about, you know, bringing that in-house because you need more control or more visibility into it. Hmm. Well, let's see. Like right, right now, we use a central database that's like a GIS database, mm -hmm. um, and so it kind of limits our flexibility. Um, What's it called? Well, so it's an Oracle database with uh, a layer on top called. SDE, Arc SD. It's an ArcGIS yeah, Esri product. Yeah. Um, it's also referred to as a geo database. It's kind of an abstraction um, on top of the database that stores the geometry as like binary blobs or something, and allows you to interact with them um, regardless of the storage medium. Um, but nonetheless, the the GIS component of so much of the data that we deal with um, is can be really complicated, and so it's hard. It's harder to just swap that out with things that we would normally use for tabular data, you know, like a NoSQL database or something like that. Um, there are just parts of GIS data that, uh, frankly, are beyond, over over my head, uh, but don't just immediately translate to uh, unstructured databases or even tabular databases. Um, so as to other things that we might bring in-house, 
from the open data perspective, it's tough to say. I mean, there's there's certain things that we intentionally don't want to bring in-house. Like even our opendataphilly.org, we don't manage that. Um, that's actually community managed. Um, so it was built by a software company called Azavia here in Philly. And uh, in the most recent upgrade built by them as well under a grant. Uh, but it's actually managed by Temple University um, and... They manage the day-to-day, the uh, responding to requests and feedback, um, and moderating some of the activity on there, and, and we contribute to it. So we have a user account, and we post data sets on there. Um, but the idea that it's not controlled by us uh, is, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't depend on city government prioritizing open data, frankly, uh, to, to survive and sustain. And what about the reverse of that question? Are, are there... Uh, things that you're doing internally right now that you would love to find a third-party service or product to make that easier? Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the replication, the data replication mm. part. I mean, like w- once the data is in our GIS database, it's actually a real pain to get it out to like a cloud data store where members of the public could download it. Um, I think a lot of that is because it's the 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 environment is so specific. It's it's a GIS database, so mm-hmm. you can't just use like um, like master slave replication or right. something like that. Um, we've we have custom Python scripts that replicate these data sets out there, and it's it's a pain to manage those and mm-hmm. um, to have to write them, to have to know how they work. Um, and frankly, the same thing on the inside. Like we were talking about Luigi and, and Airflow. Yeah. Maybe those are the answers to those things. But uh, scheduling and alerts. Um, yeah, it's we, we need we need a better system for that. And the um, for the, the the first part of it that you mentioned. So it's it's replication from that Oracle database with the GIS front end. To what do you want to get that to? Is it to S3 or where? What cloud? Well, so we we use a an open data portal called Socrata, okay. and they're basically a, a database in the cloud that you can push data into. And once it's in there, um, it's there. Each data set is like a table, but there's no joins or anything. Um, once it's in a once it's in there, they'll provide a uh, flexible API to the public. Um, that's kind of like a SQL API. Mm-hmm. It's really robust. It's really fast. You can do group buys and aggregations very performantly. Um, they also provide download links in multiple formats. So you put the data in, and suddenly it's available in CSV, GeoJSON, uh, Shapefile. Um, and they also provide visualizations that make it easier for someone in the, who's not a data scientist to see what the value is of the data. Um, so those three things are are really important that they take care of. But like getting the data, they, they and, and they do everything they can to make the da- make it easy to get the data in. But it's kind of tough to get the data out of our geo database and, and wire it up with that. It's that's nobody's fault. I mean, it, the the advantage of the the geo database and the layer on top of it that is provided by Esri is that we have analysts around the city and. and in a bunch of city departments who who use that, who use uh, GIS tools to conduct analysis every day and like improve the operations of their department and they can share data with one another through this central GIS database. 
So like it's a huge asset to have, and the fact that they can all connect to it centrally, like they've been doing that for over ten years, like that's mm. huge, you know. So it's important for us to leverage that existing infrastructure because it'll still be there. Um, it's already going on even without open data. So if open data can leverage that infrastructure, then we're just like a part of that. And if we can make open data easy, then open data is not a technology conversation, it's a policy conversation. Mm. So like once the department head says, yes, go, it should be really easy to make that go. <laughs> you know, and right now it's, it's still a little hard. Mm. Uh, are there data sets that you think definitely should not be opened up, like things that we probably never should? Yeah, yeah, like things what? like the uh, voter registration file, for instance. Mm. It's a list of every registered voter um, what party they're registered to, the last time they voted, their address. And you can actually get this data. You can reach out to the city commissioner's office and I think you pay them $20 or something, whatever it costs to produce it, uh, and they'll give it to you. Uh, but Just for you or for everybody? Everybody. everybody. Oh, wow. but we, so you think that should not be available? No, it's not that. I think that we would never want to publish that as open data. So some data sets are available through like a data request or you know Freedom mm. of Information Act. Uh, but we shouldn't publish it online because I wouldn't want a potential employer to type in your name in a search engine and it to come up with what party you're registered mm. to or something like that. That's not that's not a good, you know. But they could find it if they had 20 bucks and they wanted to ask. That's right, but not every employer has $20, Jake. That's the mm. thing. There's the catch. No, you're right. I mean, frankly, it's it's an obscurity thing because most people don't know that mm. it's available and that they could do it, um, which is not necessarily a sustainable thing. But nonetheless, I'm just kind of drawing attention yeah. to the fact that uh, being publicly available and proactively published on the web are two different things. Mm. There's other data sets that uh, definitely should not be available. I mean, you know, things about criminal investigations, ongoing investigations, there's there's a ton of stuff that falls into that category. Um, there are some data sets that are publicly available on the web that probably shouldn't be, such as um, criminal record convictions or non-conviction data. Um, like if you go to the court's website, you can type in people's names and see uh, court cases, even for things that they were, it turned out they were not convicted for, um, which em employers also use, and that can wow. that can often yeah. be used against you. You're supposed to go through the state police and pay twenty dollars for a background check, but this is free and you know easier, and mm. and you you get more data, even yeah. though you're not supposed to get that. So um, yeah, that's people misusing that kind of data and, and uh, associating it with a negative. Uh, attribute of a person when in fact it's not a conviction record so uh, I think I know the answer to this but just in case uh, so the fact that I've served on a jury is that is any information connected with that publicly available I don't know that's a good question yeah. uh, that I don't know no one's ever asked that yeah. um, one way to find out for just about any data set is if you go on the city's website and scroll to the bottom there's a link called right to know request okay and it has information about the law in Pennsylvania that you're allowed to fill out a pretty basic form requesting data and send it to the agency that you believe manages that data or has that data and they're supposed to provide it to you <laughs> unless they can demonstrate that it should not be provided mm. and in a case like that I mean the first thing that comes to mind is um, maybe that should not be provided because the uh, if, if you sentenced someone in a criminal case, right. uh, you wouldn't want any kind of retribution. Um, so, you know, probably probably no, but maybe it is for civil cases. I don't know. The good news is that I don't have to decide that. Uh, thank goodness. Um, there are attorneys in the departments, you know, the, the, 
the courts would probably have an attorney there who would make a call like that. And is it ever the case where, like, if I I want a certain data set to be opened up and someone else doesn't, um, someone else thinks that you know this is important for privacy or for like you know like you're saying you know make sure they avoid retribution. Um, can one of us sue the other or sue the city? Like, does that ever happen? <laughs> Yeah, so there's actually a way to appeal for, for right-to-know requests, okay. which is Pennsylvania's implementation of Freedom of Information Act, basically. Um, if the agency, the agency has five days to respond to you, and mm-hmm. um, they can request an extension, uh, but if after that extension they, they, they say no or they just don't respond, it's deemed a denial, you can appeal to um, the state's open records office. And they kind of serve as an, an arbiter and, and can order an agency to release the data because the burden is on the agency to release the data set. Um, and beyond that, if, if, if there's still, you can still appeal, I think, to uh, a court. It goes to the court in that case. Now, there are other reasons that data sets might be denied, like if, you're, if the data doesn't exist, the mm. government doesn't need to create the data for you. Right. Or if you're just too vague um, and not specific enough, like I want all the data about public safety. Uh, like, <laughs> there's no way to fulfill that. So right. you know, there's there's limits within reason. And, and um, but on the on the open data side, I mean, part of the role of the Open Data Initiative is to uh, work with department heads to help them understand why folks want this data. Um, that it's not just like lawyers and reporters trying to mm. criticize or sue the city or make a buck or something like that. That there's actually positive value mm-hmm. created by publishing data to the public. Um, so like that's how we start. We start the conversation that way. And there's often very, like I said, there's very legitimate concerns with putting some of these data sets out um, that need to be addressed. And sometimes there's concerns like, well, we can't put that out because one of the fields in there is social security number. Right. And then we say, oh, well, we can just remove that field. And then, oh, okay, well, then we can put it out. So some of them are, are mm. not as severe, but they're conversations that still need to be had. And, and uh, you know, there's a lot of responsibility running a government agency. So we can be mindful of that and respectful of it. And how, uh, how, how does that, like, mechanically work? Like, will that just be something that's done in the ETL script where that piece of data will be stripped out? Or is the... When the you know the mainframe delivers the flat file, will that just be one of the things that the mainframe knows not to deliver? Yeah, ideally it just wouldn't deliver it to yeah. us because that puts less responsibility on us. But that's not that's not always a possibility. Um, so we would code that into mm-hmm. the data cleanup, so to speak. Do do your systems or the city systems do they need to comply with? HIPAA or some other analogous regulations for managing all this personal data? Not all of the, it depends on the data. So if we're dealing with data that is, um, what's the word, where HIPAA comes into play, uh, then yes, or um, data regarding uh, children, you know, at at schools, or uh, public safety data with Sieges, um, then those things come into play and it limits us severely. Mm-hmm. Um, but most data, I mean, property assessments, for instance, or real estate taxes or something, you know, that doesn't that doesn't come up. Business taxes, though, it does because uh, there's IRS regulations on business incomes. So, yeah, that that impacts our flexibility, and often it we re- 
we rely on someone at the department to do the data cleanup and send us the data, send us what they can do with it. You know what I mean? And they probably know better than anybody exactly what's sensitive about it and you know what the context is because it's yeah they're, they're closest to it. That's right. Uh, if you had a magic wand and you could, um, you know, open any up any data set uh, in the city right now, uh, what what would you choose? <laughs> oh, geez, let me think about that. Any data set, huh? The data set of all the data sets. Oh, just what it, what data sets <laughs> exist? It sounds like I'm asking a genie for oh, infinite I was just wishes. Say, yeah, it's cheating. But yeah, no, but it's it's real. I mean, I, I mentioned to you before that once you get past the handful of data sets that everybody knows about mm-hmm. and comes to mind, there's hundreds and hundreds more out there. Mm-hmm. But how do you prioritize which ones to release if you don't know which ones exist, mm-hmm. right? And that's been one of our biggest challenges with getting the public's feedback in the prioritization is coming up with a list of things for them to give us feedback on or prioritize for us. Um, And that's involved this data inventory project, which is where we go department by department and sit down with department heads and their deputies and ask them essentially what data sets do you have? And getting to that point in the conversation requires a lot of, uh, requires a particular way of thinking like, what do you do and how how is that divided how is that organized uh, what information do you use to do that and where you get that information oh well that's in this system is that is that system a data set or are there multiple data sets in that system um, and you can see the, the the results of this data inventory if you go to metadata.phila.gov hmm. it's our citywide metadata catalog where we list um, I think there's about seven or eight hundred data sets listed on there um, and so it's enabled us to get much better at data management, but it's it's a lot of work coming yeah. up with all of these things. And you know, if we just had a list of all the data sets that existed, it'd be much easier to just put it out there. And then, heck, we could have a schedule for you. Uh, you know, by the end of the month, that would be cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I uh, expect the next time we talk, you'll have that list. Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, are there other aspects of what your team does, or? Um um, just you know, parts of this open data thing that, that we haven't covered that you think would be people would be interested in knowing about. <clears throat> Probably content design is pretty interesting. Um, so when we started this alpha project to you know redesign the city's website, make it mobile friendly, and uh, organize it around what people were actually coming to the site for, um, we found out re- pretty fast that. It's like this this rabbit hole when you when you actually ask the question of what what do people want what do users want from the website uh, there's a lot of depth to that and you can't just look at like the top pages that people are coming for um, so it turns out things like the way that content is written the way that content is organized what questions you ask and what ones you don't like mm-hmm. there are some things that are on government websites that just shouldn't be because there's you can already get them somewhere else um, and the, so the way that we organize that information and make it easy to find from the perspective of people who do not work inside of government uh, is, a, is like a whole art in itself. So like information architecture uh, is really important there. The way that content is written in plain language so that it's easy to understand um, and feels actionable and personable. So that you can not, not like you don't want to be overly descriptive, but you want to make it clear how to take action on something. I mean, I'm still learning a lot about this myself, but we have 
some really impressive folks on the team, like our lead content designer, Aaron Abler. We're actually hiring uh, right now for a, a web content writer um, to help Aaron. We're uh, working with the Department of Revenue to apply this approach to their content and services um, and give them a real uh, important presence on the new website so that from the user's perspective, it's really easy to find out what taxes I need to pay and find out how to pay them, how much the taxes are and how they affect me. Um, you know, simple stuff, but once you actually try to do it, it's actually incredibly complicated. And um, so, yeah, we're looking for some help there from a web content writer. Where, uh, where should someone who's interested in learning more about that job go? So the good news is that it is such a new uh, opportunity that we haven't posted it online yet. Uh, and I say that that's good news uh, only to lighten the fact that it's not posted <laughs> online. So uh, email me. Um, okay. If you if my if my last name is spelled somewhere on the on this podcast it, listing, it will be. It will be. It's Tim at Phila gov. P H I L A dot G O V. Spelled like every other Wisniewski you know. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, are there uh, anything else that you um, you want to plug? Whether it's job openings, uh, websites, and whether it's it's your team or not. If you just think there's a cool product or service out there that people ought to take a look at. Yeah, yeah. Um, so OpenDataPhilly.org obviously is where you can find all of the open data. <laughs> sets from the city of Philadelphia and in the Philadelphia region, so not just from city government. Um, I mentioned our metadata catalog, metadata.phila.gov. Um, what else? Alpha.phila.gov, the work in progress of the new city's website, which you can pull up on your phone and give us feedback so that we can make it better while we're building it. Uh, I mentioned the job listing. Um, Beyond that, a project that is coming up that I'm really excited about that a colleague of mine, Andrew Buss, is working on uh, is sort of the successor to Big Ideas PHL uh, that they're working with the Department of Better Technology on, which is a vendor, it's like a you know, software company. Um, oh, that's a clever name. Yeah, yeah. Um, to make it even easier for vendors to find out about um, upcoming RFPs and mm ways that they can contract with the city so that they can get notified and, and respond and answer clear questions and allow the city to have better access to a pool of qualified vendors. Um, really excited about that coming up, but it's not really a plug because you can't look at it yet. It's not out. <laughs> it's something to check out. Yeah. Keep it, keep your ears open. Awesome. And uh, where can people find out more uh, about you? Do you uh, follow you on Twitter, go to your personal website, anything like that? Yeah, sure. I'd say Twitter, um, Tim Wiz, T-I-M-W-I-S. Um, I mean, I have a personal website at timwiz.com, but uh, I, I think, frankly, the, the team is more exciting, so I would check out alpha.phila.gov and follow some of the team members on Twitter. And, and we have a Google group for open data, if you go to philo.gov slash data, um, you can find a link to that. But uh, really, now that we have this new office of open data and digital transformation, that, that site needs to be upgraded. <laughs> uh, but anyway, you can you can get access to the Google group there. And frankly, I, I would I would say like it's more important for me that I, I get to follow you. So like if you build something with our data or you have a question or you want to uh, contribute somehow, uh, reach out, use the Google group, tell us what you're interested in. Uh, all of our stuff is on GitHub, github.com slash city of Philadelphia. You can see our source code. You can even see some of our wonky Python ETL scripts for data cleanup. 
um, and you know us geeking out about clever ways to do anonymizing and stuff. Uh, I would love your feedback there. Uh, if there's any way that you can contribute to our software or you have an idea to improve it, like that would be awesome. Uh, the more we can do to create a culture of people collaborating with government around technology and this really cool vision that we all share, the better. And it's a really interesting idea that I hadn't considered before. Like, I imagine there are other police departments in other cities uh, or other you know property management departments that are using the same mainframe or the same software, and they're trying to get their data out for a similar open data project. Has it ever happened that you could just go to their GitHub page and leverage the script that they built and repurpose that here? Yeah, believe it or not, Code for America is doing that right now. There's a, a system called IA Pro. Um, I assume IA stands for Internal Affairs, but it is um, things like shootings, so officer-involved shootings or something like that. I think most police departments around the country use this software system called IA Pro, mm. um, and so Code for America folks worked on building a thing to get the data out of it, um, and they're trying to work with governments around the country on that. So I got, we have to jump on that, see how we can help. Interesting. And do you know of anybody repurposing the code that, that you guys built for getting data out in another city? So actually, Open Data Philly, the original version, when that was built, uh, there wasn't there weren't a lot of options for open data portals, and uh, because that was released as open source, uh, I think Chattanooga, Tennessee, and a couple other cities used it as their open data portal. I don't know if they're still using it, but um, and I mean the analytics.philly.gov is a good example mm. of like governments sharing. Right. You That's know what awesome. I mean? Yeah. And uh, let's see, Co <clears throat> Code for Philly also builds a number of. Uh, applications at hackathons using city-provided data and stuff, and they have seen a lot of interest from other cities in replicating their work, you know, like the live election results application. I guess that's that's worth mentioning. Um, Code for Philly built this thing called Who Won Philly, hmm. and on the election night of the May primary, uh, released it, and it was like a way to view live election results from your phone, and it automatically refreshed um, and it was just a much more user-friendly experience than the one that the city provided, mm -hmm. which was online. And it, you know, but you had to keep refreshing it. Didn't really work well on your phone. And so now the city commissioner's office reached out to Code for Philly shortly after that and asked, like, how can we make this the official election results site? Awesome. And they hired a web developer. And now if you go to the city commissioner's website and click on like live election results, it's that page, but enhanced. They've actually added to mm -hmm. it. Um, so and several other cities have reached out about how can they replicate that in their city, like the live election results site. So that's really cool. Uh, and final question, very important. Uh, did you ever consider changing your Twitter handle to somehow incorporate a wit whiz joke? <laughs> uh, or was that not in the cards? No, because I, I, I take them without on that big okay. on Fried Onions. You're, you're without. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it just never, you know, never worked out that way. Okay. Well, that's clearly the, the most important thing for folks who st stuck around to the end of the interview. Uh, Tim, this has been awesome. I really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks so uh, much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Statistically Interesting. This podcast is produced by me and Ryan Williams at Stitch HQ, which is right across the street from City Hall in sunny Center City, Philadelphia. 
If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Jake Stein, access old episodes at statisticallyinteresting.com and find out more about Stitch at stitchdata.com. 